Okay, this week we're going to talk about Yeah, What About the Law, Part 2. And my attempt over the next 20 minutes or so is to water ski through the entire book of Hebrews. In order to show uh, the relevance of a particular theme that the writer of Hebrews seems to be at least tracing throughout the book, and it's based around the word better. A lot of better things here, better this, better that, and better whatever. What's he trying to tell us? Um, the book of Hebrews sounds like it might be just written to help Jewish people become Christians or learn how to live, but whatever's good for them is good for us and vice versa because it's just one gospel and it's for everybody. Uh, just like the promise to the father of the Hebrew nation, Abraham, was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him because through his line was going to come the Messiah who was all things better. All right, so let's jump in and look at some passages. There'll be a lot of reading today uh, in this particular book uh, just to show what he's trying to tell us as a whole. Again, this is a water ski through the whole book and who knows, we may do another week on this sometime in the future or maybe several weeks because the, the, the attempt to live by the law under the new covenant, which scripture teaches us plainly is futile, it doesn't work, um, but we, we learn from the law. You know, last week we talked about how we don't teach the law, but the law teaches us. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament, from Genesis through Malachi, uh, the experiences, the, the, the people and the parts that they played in developing uh, an overall understanding of the grace of God, which is displayed in the law, but not accomplished through the law. Uh, like I said last week, I think we talked about the fact that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. Well, then why was all those sacrifices? What were they all about? Well, they were to show us something, teach us something about without the remission, uh, shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So, okay, so we teach that the blood of Christ brings about the remission of sin. We don't teach the sacrifice of animals anymore. So we don't teach the law, but the law, if you will, teaches us. So let's look at this. Uh, word better throughout the book of Hebrews and see what it teaches us concerning the new covenant compared to the old covenant. And what are the covenants? Those are just promises made by God to humankind. Those are, those are guarantees. Those are absolutes that God will never bend on because of his character that is absolute and trustworthy and true. And he, he never bends as a person. So if he promises something, we can be absolutely confident that he will keep his promise. He even talks about that in Hebrews, that two things that are impossible for God, he can't lie and he can't break a promise. All right, so in Hebrews chapter one, he talks about uh, that Jesus is better than angels. So let's look at it. Uh, chapter one, verse one through five. God, after he spoke so long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. There's a lot there we could look into, but we're just water skiing through, remember that. Verse three, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
when he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels. There's that word better. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. All right, so one of the things people have a ten had a tendency before that to believe in and look for is some kind of a, uh, an appearance of an angel in their life. That, well, if, he could just, if, I, if that would happen to me, or it did happen to me, so I have uh, all these things to say to you. And, uh, you know, angels did show up, uh, and they would tell people things, and they would show people things. The angel of the Lord, uh, Michael, showed up and explained some things to Daniel that he'd been praying about. But he said, you know, Jesus is better than that, better than visions, better than angels, better than things that we might want to rely on because it's more tangible. But we're called to live by faith. And faith in not just faith itself, but faith in God through his son Jesus and his indwelling presence in our life, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us if we're believers in Christ. So he gave us something far better than an outward um, manifestation of some kind that would tell us about things to come or what to do and all that. He gave us an internal presence of himself through Jesus Christ, which is far better than an angel standing beside us. It's better to have Jesus in us. In fact, Jesus himself said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. And he'll be in you and with you forever. He says all these things in John 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters, about the value, the much better value of having Jesus in us than even having Jesus standing beside us in physical form. He told the early disciples, it's better that I go away. Because what you'll get in replaces of me, in replace of me standing beside you, is you'll get me living inside you. That's much better. Doesn't seem quite as tangible, quite as I want to hear it with these ears, quite as okay. Just give me a sign. <laughs> well, it's better to have him inside, leading and guiding, so that we would follow him by faith, because without faith it's impossible to please him. He even says that in Hebrews somewhere. All right, another passage in uh, Hebrews 6, verse 9, or actually 1 through 9. We're going to cover part of it, verse 1 and verse 9, actually. Uh, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. This whole little passage, 1 through 9, is about, okay, you guys need to be moving forward, growing in your maturity, not becoming more saved, but be able to express the salvation you've already received in a more mature way, moving on to maturity. Uh, walking, and what is maturity? It's walking with God by faith. In those moments when it seems like other ways might feel better, look better, sound better, um, the wisdom of the world we'll talk about in our next lesson. 
uh, not this week, uh, or something tangible that just could be a rule to follow, because if I follow this rule, I do A, you're going to give me B. Um, no, he wants us to walk with him by faith, because we've already received all the B there is. We have received everything in Christ. We have received our holiness, our righteousness. It was a gift of faith. Um, he now lives inside us, and now he's just wanting us to walk with him by faith. So let's not keep going back over and over again, the writer says here, about repenting from dead works and faith towards God. Okay, you've repented of that, but I still stumble in it. Well, we'll talk about that in probably two or three weeks from now. We're going to talk about, well, yeah, but what about sin? What about those things I still do that looks like the old guy, even though you say I'm a new guy? And the Bible says I'm a new guy. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. Well, then why do I still like the, act like the old guy? Uh, we're going to talk about that and some of the ways people try to explain it uh, that sound pretty good, but they're actually probably not because they put us in turmoil and keep us locked into the old ways rather than helping us move on to maturity like it speaks about here. Because it was all about faith. Walking with him by faith. You know, Colossians says, as therefore you receive Christ, so walk in him. So we receive him by faith, we walk with him by faith. Now, I could spend a lot of time camping on that idea, and I'm sure we will in the future just expand it more and more and more. But let's look at another passage here. Why not about something else that's better? In Hebrews uh, 7.19, it says, better hope. Okay, for the law made nothing perfect. We could talk about that for hours. But in reality, the law made nothing perfect, righteous, holy. And the law itself is righteous and holy, but it doesn't make us righteous and holy. Remember we talked a few weeks about uh, the law is like a bright light. Okay, I walk into a room and it's dark and I'm in darkness and I've got a, you know, a, a white shirt on with black junk all over it, soot or something, or maybe a black shirt on with white lint and stuff all over it. Nobody can see it because we're in the dark. And then somebody turned on the light. Okay, the light is righteous, good, and holy. It just reveals the mess on my shirt. But it doesn't clean my shirt. It only reveals. And that's what the law does. It reveals sin, but it doesn't fix sin. And that's, that's a huge difference. Uh, however, because the world teaches us, just get your act together. Get a hold of your bootstraps. Pull yourself together, man. You know, buck it up. Just hang in there. Work harder. Uh, do better. And all that stuff. Well, and the more I fall because I'm trying to do this in my own effort, the worse I feel and the dirtier it looks like my shirt is getting. And the light just keeps exposing it. So some people, they just try to turn the light down. Hit the rheostat. Let's just, let's just soften this thing down a little bit, if not a whole lot, so it's not so bright. And that makes me feel better because it doesn't show up so much. Well, Jesus came along and he hit the double switch, you know. The law said this, but I say that. And he, he raised the bar, didn't lower it. Why? Because he wanted us to see that we cannot do this on our own. We were never even designed to do this on our own. Not even in an unsinful state. Adam and Eve were not designed to live apart from God. And neither are you and I. And under the new covenant, being born again and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are not now able to live apart from God. We are now able to live 
connected to God based on his power, following his wisdom, walking with him by faith, submitting our will to his will in the moments of our life. All right, so better things, better hope. We have something that's far greater. What is our hope? Well, that's our confidence. That's something we absolutely rely on. And it says in Christ, you have better hope. Better than the hope of our ability to live up to the law, we have hope, confidence in the fact that Jesus lived up to the law. He imparts his righteousness to us by faith. You read about that in Philippians chapter 3. And in the end, what do you see? Well, I'm secure. And now my Father is bringing me to maturity. Not so I'll become more acceptable, but because I'm already acceptable in Christ. All right? So what is this new covenant? Chapter 7, verse 22, says we have a better covenant. It goes like this. So much more also, Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. The guarantee of a better covenant. Okay, I guarantee that one day you'll have a better covenant. No. The guarantee there is really the word that we would use like if you were buying a house. It's the earnest. It's the, okay, I'm going to buy your house, so here's some money. This is my earnest money. This is my down payment. Okay, well, let's say you're asking $100,000 for your house, and typically in our day and age, people might give 10% down payment or earnest money, so I'd give you $10,000. Well, when God guaranteed the covenant to you and I, he actually gave us 100% of the price. And what was that price? It was Jesus. He said, I guarantee I'll keep my promise to you, and here's my earnest. And he gave us his spirit, the spirit of Christ. The spirit of God himself is God's down payment. So Jesus is the guarantee of God's promise. He gave, when you put your faith in God and what he did through Christ, he turns around and gives you his earnest, his guarantee. This is yours, and it's yours whether I keep my side of the bargain or not. Well, God will obviously keep his side of the bargain, and we talked about that year, or months ago when, when we looked at how the Abrahamic covenant was a one-sided covenant. He just promised Abraham, I'm going to do this for you, and he didn't require anything of Abraham. Okay, so the, the new covenant, it says, is just like that. He talks about in Hebrews how he gave us through Christ the guarantee of his promise. And guess what? If God backs out, what do you get to keep? You get to keep the earnest money. What's the earnest money? Jesus. Well, we don't have to worry about God backing out because he never breaks a promise. He will not renege on his part of the deal which he has made with us, which is salvation and eternal life through Christ. So it's a much better covenant. The old covenant, if you broke the law, God was off the hook because it was, I'll do this for you as long as you do that for me. The new covenant is, I will do this for you, period. And our faith, he, he just hands us the money. He just gives us the earnest. That is such a profound reality that it, it, takes, it will probably take us eternity to wrap our mind around understanding the profound nature of the covenant through Jesus Christ that God accomplished on our behalf. And that he offers it to us freely, not in exchange for anything. You know, the problem back in the Garden of Eden was they didn't trust God. And so when you put your faith in Christ, he does something for you that is unending and forever. It's much better than anything that had ever gone before. The deal in the Garden, 
the covenant through Moses and the Ten Commandments and all the laws. It's better than all of that stuff. It's permanent. Better promises. In chapter 8, verse 6, it goes like this. But now he has obtained, talking about Jesus, a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. We just read about the better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. How could they be better promises? Well, because they're, they're absolute. They're one-sided. It's not like the promise, I will keep all your enemies away from you. I will make you prosper in this land as long as you keep all my laws. Well, they were breaking the laws as, they were writing, as God was writing them down on the stones with his finger. They were committing spiritual adultery when he said, you'll have no other gods before me. They were building a golden calf while he was writing out that covenant agreement. And they said, oh yeah, we'll keep all your covenant agreements. We'll keep every word you said. And by the way, while you're writing it down, we're going to build a golden calf. And they committed spiritual adultery and, and worshiped other gods from that moment throughout the entire nation's history until one day he said, that's enough. And he didn't talk to him again for about 400 years. And then Jesus came because he knew that they wouldn't keep it. He didn't do that because he was fooled or he was naive. He did that because he needed us to understand we were unable to keep it. So that when the new covenant came along, we'd be able to say, yes, I need this thing through Christ because I was completely incapable of keeping it through the law. Paul came to that conclusion. The Pharisee of Pharisees, under the law blameless, he said, but whatever was gained to me, I count as as." as rubbish in order to may gain Christ and be found in him not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God on the basis of faith you can find that in Hebrews or me Philippians chapter 3 so a better covenant because it's based on better promises and the better promise is I will do this for you period not in exchange for something you do for me there's no law to keep on our side that ratifies this covenant. It's just believing that what he said is true. But as many as, as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed on his name, John 1, 12. All right, so what's the next one? Better sacrifices. Chapter 9, verse 23, Therefore it was necessary for the copy of those things in heaven be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves are cleansed are with better sacrifices than these. Okay, so what, what is that talking about? Well, on earth, we had copies of things in heaven. The temple was a copy of something in heaven. And all the laws were copies of something in the eternal. Okay, and so they were cleansed with what? The blood of bulls and goats. They would sprinkle ashes of the red heifer and the blood mixed together on the altar and the Ark of the Covenant and the, the labor and the the golden lampstand and all that stuff and the, and the walls and the curtains and they just cleansed the whole temple with blood. He said, okay, that, that served as a copy of something else. Well, the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit once he moves in. And how are you cleansed? With the blood of bulls and goats? Did anybody sprinkle you down with animal blood when you got saved? Well, no. You were washed in the blood of the Lamb. You were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ himself, which was better blood, better sacrifices than those on earth. Those were a copy of something that was going to be accomplished through Christ, a visualization. They were the, 
they gave us the ability to kind of comprehend, okay, I have to be cleansed by blood. Of animals? No, the blood of Christ. The blood of God himself cleanses us from sin. That's why the Bible says it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin, because he is God. All right, another one, better possessions. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 for you showed, me, you showed sympathy for prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you yourselves have better possession and abiding one. Okay, whatever we have on earth is here today and gone tomorrow, right? Uh, you never know. And by the way, no matter how much you amass, you never see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. You can't take it with you, as the old joke goes, right? Well, that's reality. All right, so whatever we possess on earth no matter how good it is, even in the Christian spiritual church uh, walk with Jesus kind of realm, it's an earthly possession, but we are looking for something that's far better than that, something that's eternal, something that will never fade away or turn to dust or, or, or get rust and corrode and all that kind of stuff, something no one can steal or take away from us. That you know, And I could go on and on and on about that, but what's the better thing we're given is possessions in heaven. It's a place at the dinner table, at God's dinner table. It's a place in his house. It's righteousness that lasts forever. It's acceptability before the throne of God that never gets tainted by what we do on the outside because it was Jesus who cleansed us on the inside. And in his righteousness, we stand. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We stand in his grace, the Bible tells us. And so we have an abiding possession that's coming our way. We've already received it, actually, by his gift of the Holy Spirit living in us, by gift of himself living in us, the earnest, the 100% down payment he's given us, and everything else goes with it. You know, the Bible says, or Jesus said, he, uh, me, Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now, some folks twist that into earthly possessions. No, all things eternal, all things that last forever, things that are reserved in heaven for you, which cannot fade away, it says in the book of 1 Peter, I believe. Okay, what is that inheritance that can't fade away? It's the eternal possessions we've been given as ours in Christ that can never be taken away from us, that can never be diminished because of sin on the outside or immaturity or anything else. We're growing into understanding what we received. We're not earning things we're going to receive. All right, still water skiing through. We're looking at chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered, up, offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. What was his, what did he do? He had faith. Um, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. All right, so what was this deal? Well, if you go back and read the passage, it's not real plain. You talk about Cain and Abel, what was the difference? You know, Cain offered vegetables and stuff that he'd grown as a sacrifice to God, and Abel offered a lamb because Abel was the herdsman and uh, Cain was the agrarian one. Well, at that time, there was no law about blood sacrifice. The law had not been given yet. And even under the law, there were free will offerings of grain and wine and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't wrong to offer 
the fruit of the vine or things you'd grown or vegetables. There was no law concerning that. The only thing that the scripture teaches consistently from beginning to end is without faith is impossible to please God. And here we see that faith is what made Abel's sacrifice more acceptable than Cain's. And so he's mentioned here in Hebrews 11. He had better sacrifice because the, it was a lamb instead of vegetables? No, there was no law at that time because he had faith and Cain did not. Cain was going through emotion. Okay, I'm going to give some stuff to God here. Abel realized that God is the source of things. And out of faith, I'm giving back to him. I'm trusting him. Because what is made plain throughout the book of Hebrews and throughout the entire scripture, and especially in Hebrews 11, is that it's faith that God was looking for in, in Abel, in Enoch, in Melchizedek, in David, in all the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and uh, Rahab, and all the different ones that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. It wasn't what they did. It was their faith that is highlighted. And it's always been that, that we trust him. Okay, a better country. Hebrews eleven sixteen, talking about Abraham and Sarah. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay, we're all looking for something. We'll never find it here on planet Earth. We can find some things that give us a little joy from time to time. I know I do, but then it breaks or I don't get to do it or I try it and after a while it's just kind of like, eh, meh. <laughs> As we say nowadays, meh. It's not that big a deal, not that great, but you know, it was fun to, for a while. Okay, it's okay to have blessings and, and enjoy that new vehicle or a trip you take or something, but that's not the deal. And getting more and more of that stuff won't really satisfy the soul. What we're looking for is something so much better and is found in Christ. Even while we're here on earth, we don't have to wait until we die to get this better sensation about contentment and joy and peace. Okay, so we get to find it here in the midst of the junk we're handed on planet earth because we're actually looking forward to something that's eternal and can't be taken away from us. It's reserved in heaven for us. Again, like it says in Peter. All right, the last one, or a couple here, a couple last ones here, a better resurrection. Chapter 11, verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting release in order that they may obtain a better resurrection. You know, Lazarus was resurrected. There's people in the Old Testament that were resurrected. Uh, Jesus was not the first person in the Bible to get resurrected from the dead. But he is the first person to get resurrected from the dead. The deadness of separation from God. And when he was resurrected, he offers that resurrection to us. Not that so we can come back and live a longer physical life, but so that we can live an eternal life reserved in heaven with him that actually begins now here on earth. Because right now, if you've been raised up with Christ, it says, in Colossians chapter 3, then you're seated with him in heavenly places. And we can, even though we're here, we're of another realm, and we're walking around on planet Earth, but members and citizens of another country. 
an eternal kingdom in heaven. So that's, that resurrection is far better. Far better. A couple more here. Chapter 11, verse 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect, complete, mature, finished. All right, because he was going to display through those who had faith in Christ, who was not even there for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the, the, Older Testament, the Old Testament people, all right, because he was reserving something for us that was going to solidify the promises he made for them. And what was that thing he reserved for us? The gift of himself. The advent of the Holy Spirit. The coming of God to live in the temple. And that happened on Pentecost. When the Spirit fell and the people were indwelt by God, energized by him, they preached the gospel. Those who came before us we're trusting God to send the Messiah. We trust that God sent the Messiah. And that promise, the coming of, the, of God himself to live in man. You know, even back in the Old Testament it says, you'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He came to live in us. That was the fulfillment of the promise they were waiting for and we have accepted. And that guarantees everyone's salvation who trusted God from Abel the first generation after Adam, to whoever the last person is, whoever trusts Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. And one last thing here, better blood. Chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the, me the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling of the blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You know, it says, it talked about how Abel's blood still speaks today. Uh, when, when Cain was called on the carpet about killing his brother, God told Cain, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. And so in that picture of someone who had faith and the enduring message of their life, not because of their goodness, but because of the goodness of God, that faith in God, God continues to highlight the value of that faith. Well, Jesus' blood speaks better than Abel's. You know, the Bible says we're not to trample underfoot the blood of the covenant whereby we're sanctified. Anyone who sees the blood of Christ says, meh, that's of no value, whatever. Some guy died, who cares? And that resurrection thing, we don't believe that. You know, if you do that, then you are rejecting God's absolute promise and the guarantee through Christ that's offered to you and all you have to do is believe it. And some people don't like that idea. Well, you're telling me I have to do something. Eh, it's not really doing anything. You're trusting that he did something. And you're trusting that what he did was for you. And that's the better new covenant. That's what's better about the whole thing. God, through Christ, has accomplished something so much better than, than we would ever be able to do even with the guiding light, if you will, of the law, which only shows us where we mess up and doesn't ever really fix those problems. It just seems to make them worse because we're not able to just live up to it on our own. We were never intended to any more than, like I showed you months ago, a little flashlight. It can try to shine all it wants to without any batteries in it. It'll never shine. It's just a paperweight at best. 
But if it has power on the inside, then it's able to do what it was created to do, which is cast light in dark places. Not because the flashlight has the power to do that, but because the batteries do. And the scripture tells us you receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what's better about the new covenant. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We talked about that mystery that was hidden from the ages, but now is revealed. And what is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's better. That's better than, let me see if I can work this up and make it happen on my own. Here's the rules. I'm going to try to follow those and do a good job with it. How about God lives on the inside of me, imparts his righteousness and holiness to me, and now I'm learning to trust him and walk with him by faith. So when I open my mouth, the words Jesus wants people to hear are actually coming out of my vocal cords. And the works Jesus wants people to see and wants me to do are simply there because I'm surrendering my will to his. I am saying, not my will, but your will be done in the moments that I live on, on planet Earth and throughout all eternity. Uh, we just water skied through the book of Hebrews looking at the word better. And it's exciting to me to realize that the betterness, is that even a word, I don't know, the betterness of the new covenant is not something we work up, it's something Jesus worked up. Jesus said, I came to do the works of my Father, and he did it, and he completed it, and he said, it's finished, and he went home. And he left us the opportunity to trust what he did and receive the benefit of his work, not our own, because we can't get any benefits out of our own. And if I don't shut this off, I'll just go on forever, because this is so exciting to me uh, to realize the profound beauty and power of the finished work through Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let's pray, and we'll talk about some more in the future. Father, thank you that you have finished it. It's better, better than anything else, and it's available to us by faith. And we don't improve it. After we receive it, it's finished. It's complete. We've been made complete in him. We'll talk about it next week. So, Father, thank you that what you've done is finished and complete, and it's ours. When we look to you by faith, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.